0: Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kishanu La Sok la'asok b'divrei Torah. ve'harevna Adonai Eloheinu et d'ivrei Torah teka b'finu ufi amka beit Yisrael. Ve'niye anaknu v'tz'et'einu v'tz'et'e amka beit Yisrael, kulano yodea shemeka ve'lom de'toroteka lishma. Baruch atah Adonai ham lamed Torah le'amo Yisrael. Baruch atah Adonai ham Torah le'amo Yisrael. Baruch Habba B'shem Adonai. I'd like to welcome you to the Master Plan class for Parsha Tazria and Parsha madzora Because this year in 5781, we are in double Parsha mode. Just to give everyone a brief heads up, there are a few different Parshot. That are normally read together during the year, and those are Vayakel Pekude, Tazria, Metzora, Achare Mot, and Kedoshim, Behar and Behukotai, Hukat and Balak, Matot and Maase, Netzavim and Vayelik. So we're reading all of those together this year. So when those weeks come up, and you can uh, double check with Hebcal, uh, and you can uh, get on that website and look up the weekly parashot as well, and uh, it has the different reading breakdowns and all those wonderful things. So just a heads up. So Tazria Metzora, as I mentioned on Mashiach Mondays, means to give birth to a leper, or the seed of a leper shall conceive a leper however you want to put it with those phrases because Tazria could be conceive um bearing a child and then matzora is a person who is a motzi shem ra the master of in a bad name basically so someone who is lashon hara evil speech and that person contracts this condition known as Zaharat which is it can break out uh, on your house on your clothes and then on your skin and so it starts outer and it works its way in so by the time you get Zaharat on your physical body that means your condition's pretty intense and I did not mention this earlier this week, but I just want to bring it up now that in the gospel accounts, when we meet the the individuals who have Zaharat, the metzora'im, shall we say, uh, those who have Zaharat, that Yeshua healed, those people were pretty bad out. And we talk about in today's day and age, a horrible word known as quarantine. Uh, This is basically what uh, these individuals have to do. Uh, Last year, as I was podcasting during Pesach, I was bringing this up because quarantine was a new thing for us. You know, we would have the 14 day period and there were many commentaries coming out saying, isn't it interesting that what the world is going through now matches up with Parshah Medzorah? And there was a beautiful account, uh, I forget the rabbi's name, but it was a beautiful commentary that went through a whole synopsis of what it must have been like to find out that you have zarat, then to be exiled, because that's really what you were when you went into quarantine. And then you had to spend this time reflecting, like, what did I do wrong? Why is this happening to me? you know i don't have i don't have my normal life anymore i'm not with my family i can't see my people you know and things like that very very antisocial isolation going on things like that who knows what the mind could get into and then to find out 7 days that's your first stint so you would go before the coroner to see if anything improved or if anything got worse which means you had to go another week if you did not have the the prognosis shall we say of tahor which is clean or pure if the kohen gadol did not tell you you were pure you had to go back into quarantine so, you can only imagine the heartbreak that that must have been to find out, oh, I could get, get I could get back to normal, and then I find out, nope. And then this is what we have going on in our day and age now, that we're not going to get back to normal, you know? And as I was saying last year, and continuing to say, our new normal should be the geula. Our new normal should be hevenging and sovavim. You know, being cool kids, you know, uh, circling and dancing around the word of Hashem and even in our lives and our hearts and our minds and our understanding. And so tonight I really wanted to just spend time talking about this because in Master Plan, there's a whole chapter on Torah study. But before we get there, it's important to understand the, the backdrop and the context of how this is all coming together. Because I'm constantly amazed at the interconnectivity of Torah from the parasha to the Halakha to the Tefilot to the Moedim, the appointed times. You know, because right now we're counting the Omer and everything is about self-improvement and getting back into unity with each other and getting rid of Lashan hara. And baseless hatred, improving our speech, you know, and things like that and um one last thing about the account of the mezora and the whole quarantine period was that after that second week, the leper themselves, the the Medzora had to go and gather sleek uh, he had to go and gather the, the cedar had to go gather this, the scarlet, the hyssop, you know, go gather all of the materials for this offering, you know, where you take the two birds and you, um, choke at one of them and you do this over a spring of pure water, you know, and you dip the live bird in the, the blood and the water of the, the, uh, shall we say, offered up bird. I was going to say the crucified bird because it was really amazing to me to think about what Benny B. Shlita Ben Burton brought down on Parsha Metzora about this offering and how it connected to Yom Kippur and was really like the Akeda, the crucifixion. So, I just, anyway... Uh so yeah so the person had to go gather this up so if you really think about it it was like an arcada you know you're you're literally bringing yourself to your own demise because remember all the offerings are the proxy of who we are it's just like this should be happening to me you know one aspect of my being should be slaughtered the other aspect of my being that gets to live Has to be immersed in the death and the burial and the resurrection, as it were, of that which was offered. And this bird that goes free goes back out into the field, changed, transformed, renewed, just like we should be. We are covered and dipped in that which was offered up for us. And then we go out into newness of life. And so, I mean, it's just... Very, just you know, I I say these words, and I I hope it sparks a hiddush in uh, you—a very beautiful thought, uh, like a a revelation, if you will. Because you know, when you really study Torah and get down into the commentary and the insight of everything, you know, just putting things together—it's just, it's just so glorious it's just like, wow, you know? So anyway, so tonight we're going to be talking about Torah study and I want to start out with value of a pasuk. And, uh, this is a wonderful sefer from, I was going to say Feldheim publications, but for some reason I feel like, is it, or is it not? It's not really much in the, um, in the way of information on this book as far as who wrote it and who's the author and everything but I will tell you what it says the yeshiva gedola of great neck great neck New York oh here we go here's the title page the value of a pasu copyright to 2011 by the author Philip Feldheim Incorporated are the distributors so yeah Feldheim publication to order additional copies of this book or to comment please contact the distributor so look up Philip Feldheim in uh New York so yeah get you some value of a pasuk so shout out to ish pelash ShliTa for giving me uh this beautiful sefter sefer it's a beautiful gift so may hakadosh baruku grant you a bracha and lots of nachas for your kindness so i'm just going to pick up on page 74 just to give you a little backdrop It. Pointed out the verse Leviticus twelve three that talks about circumcising on the eighth day, and then it says the gematria of that is seventeen seventy three, and it talks about the fact of who stated this. This is from Sefer Habrit al Shukan Aruk. Yore Dea Halakot Mila. Okay, so a little Shulkan action that talks about the impact of circumcision that says it's necessary now for the child to have their name because they're a new creation. So if the child had a name before, then the circumcision ceremony causes the child to need a new name because they've been changed that much. So that was the first insight, and it says that this is connected to the verse of Tehillim 23, where it says, he will restore my soul and lead me in the paths of justice because of his name. And it goes into talking about commentary on his name, and it doesn't really mean God's name. So... Just to give you this, let's see. I'll just start reading here. The pasuk immediately following the one quoted from the Sefer of Talim mentions the Valley of Death, as it is stated, "Gumki Elek begeza Mavit, lo ira ra ki ata imadi." and there's more but I just want to say that part cuz I always think of the McKedem song of um okay I did a bad job of that but that's the song anyway Talene twenty three from Mekedum. So they say that line and I love the way they do it. But even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff that comfort me. Talene twenty three four. Rather than try to explain this phrase as meaning something other than death, as commentaries have done, it can refer to death itself just as it is written through the valley of the shadow of death the pasuk preceding the one referring to death which has already been quoted can be interpreted as the psalmist's thoughts and anticipation of death specifically to when someone will give the child the name of the psalmist after he has died so in other words If this is saying, as the commentaries are bringing up the question, does this really refer to Hashem's name or does it refer to someone else's name? And as we are just reading, it's referring to the psalmist who wrote this, which is David saying the name of David. So the Shmo, the because of his name in this telling is about the name of David. And it goes on. This is where I wanted to start on page 74. It says, when the name of a deceased person is mentioned in this world with the proper Kavana, Kavana, which is intention, it causes a great action in the next world. So just think about that and the significance of the name of the Mashiach because we know that so many people talk about there's power in the name and things like that and to think about the the way the not so proper name of Yeshua HaMashiach is thrown out and yes I'm talking about the JC word uh, it's used as a swear word these days, you know, or people just if they're scared, they go, oh, blah, blah, you know, and they just blurt it out like whatever. And I always like to ask, what are you calling him for? <laughs> and they go, what do you mean? And I'm like, you just called on the name of the Lord, you know, and they're like, oh, no, I didn't want nothing. And I'm like, oh, that's not good. You know, but anyway, thoughtlessly saying names and understanding when you use the proper intention and say someone's name, and especially if they have already departed from this world or if they departed from this world, came back and didn't it from this world and only to return again and again and again and again. Um, my beloved's like a gazelle, that whole midrash. There's so much that really happens there. So to really think about knowing the name of Yeshua and what that actually means is just a huge Selah. And this is why a lot of people, if they're not serious anyway, or if they're lacking information and understanding, and may Hashem help them, uh, which is why some people don't like to refer to him as that because they don't get it. You know, but when we get it and we call upon His name, especially when we say Bishem Yeshua, or Biskut, which is in the merit of Yeshua, which by the way, the ZYA acronym, uh, yeah, Z, the double hy- apostrophe YA, which is Zikron Yagen alenu which is uh may his merit shield us so that can actually be said with yeshua the only problem is he has he's not dead so i guess it really wouldn't be a technical thing to say but as far as his merit you know uh, we have the opportunity to be in his merit and let's just understand there's powerful things that happen in the heavenlies when we call the name of wh- whoever we mention. So, when we mention David or Yaakov, you know, the proper intention as we recite their names are huge. It's very valuable. And there is actually a source that teaches us that this is the importance of reciting the source for any commentary that you share because when you say something in the name of so-and-so like for instance for rabbi Meir, anything that you quote from rabbi Meir, and again apply what we're learning now with the proper intention you're causing major things to happen in the heavenlies also In another place, it says that when you recite something in the in the name of those who wrote it or those who are the source of it, like what we're talking about right now, then you cause their lips to move even while they're in the grave. And so it's like that person is continuing to live on in this world now. So you cause them to inherit a double portion where they're in the world to come and in the world now because you're reciting their commentary yes something something different you know it's just i don't even know but anyway it says and when one mentions the name of he who is at rest after his death he should concentrate for his speech in the lower world has much effect in the upper world therefore when the psalmist wrote he will restore my soul because of his name the psalmist is not referring to god's name instead david is referring to the restoration that his soul will experience after death when a child is named for him and thus the name David mentioned with proper, and thus the name David is mentioned with proper intention. And that's a huge se'la for me and my wife because our son's name is Ezra. <laughs> we also have an Ezra, a part of our mishpachah and maging yeshenu. So shouts out to him, <laughs> Baruch Hashem. So that's the first thing. So as we're Torah studying, it's important to mention Rabbi so-and-so said in the name of Rabbi so-and-so who said in the name of Rabbi so-and-so son of so-and-so. This is why all of that is important. This is why the the lineage passages in the Tanakh especially is so, so important, you know, like Chronicles. So those are important. Okay, so now to the next level is parsha? Let's see, God, that was that was parsha Tazria. So Tazria has a double portion. That's hilarious, cause it's supposed to be Tazria Matzora. So it's got two Tazrias in this value of a pasuk. Well, they're being greedy, so we're just going to no. Yeah, we'll, we'll read it. I won't be reading the commentary for Parshah Medzorah because I don't want to uh, get too far off away from our topic for Master Plan. But just as a little preview, it talks about Leviticus 14.8. It says, and the one who is to be tahor." Which is pure, shall wash his clothes, shave all his hair, wash in water, and be Tahor. And afterwards he shall come to the camp and he shall dwell outside of his tent for seven days. So there's a reintegration process for the person who contracts Za'arat. So you get to come back, but it's like, ah, uh, you still got to be outside your dwelling, though. Like a rehabilitation thing going on. And this shaving treatment, and the immersion, and the clothes, this is the same thing that every Levite had to do, to be installed into the priestly service, now isn't that interesting, that the Medzora and the Levi, have the same treatment, so you think about this for a second and you got to go, what is the deal with that in order for a lady to be brought into the priestly service, which by the way happens at the age of 30, uh, they have to immerse their garments, uh, themselves. And yeah, if you're getting vibes of Yeshua and the yard, the Jordan, then, uh, yeah, you're on the right track. So, that's how you enter into the service and this is the service you do for a person who is considered to be a dead man which is what the metzora is the metzora is considered to be a dead person there are those who are considered dead and uh among them are the childless and the poor who don't have a penny to their name and uh this one thing called a metzora or one person called a metzora sleek those are all considered to be dead men. This is why Yaakov told his nephew, which is the son of Esau, the son of Esau. His name was Eliphaz. He said, hey, you don't have to kill me to meet the requirements. All you have to do is just take all my stuff and then I'll be considered as dead. Just leave me with my coat of my staff. And Eliphaz like, okay, my dad's still not going to like the fact that I didn't actually kill you. But he's spiritual, I think. And uh, yeah, so we'll kill you like that. And that was good enough. Now, obviously, that wasn't good enough when he got home because it was just like, well, you were actually supposed to kill him, son. But that's fine. We'll wait until after Egypt. Because if he dies, somebody's got to go to Egypt and I'm not going. So when they get out, whoever's left in the house of Esau, you're going to have to go out and finish the job. And Amalek was like, yay. Lucky me. I got this. And he kind of did until Yehoshua showed up. (laughs) And then Moshe, Aharon and Hur were on the mountain with their hands in the air like they did care um because they did and so it was just kind of like it was over for Armelech at that point but anyway so the commentary was just bringing down that the person becomes a mezzora because they're haughty um uh, baba batra 98 it says that uh the one who is haughty is not accepted by the people of his households hence the person has to be outside their household uh it says they let's see here and since together with him they are the primary sufferers from his excessive haughtiness therefore the Medzorah is punished with the following that after the first stage of becoming tahor he is permitted to join with all the with all the assembly of israel however it is decreed upon him to tarry outside his house seven additional days. So it's like, you get to come back, but you know, so this whole haughtiness, this exile being outside the home. So then it says this connects, or this has the same gematria as Leviticus 1441, which talks about the Zaharad on the house. It says the Mishnah in Maseket negaim Explains that when Zarat comes to a wall shared by two neighbors, both of them are involved in removing the affected parts of the wall. This involvement typifies the concept of "woe to the wicked, woe to his neighbor." Proverbs, Slika, twelve six. So, just the whole thing about the interconnectedness. Not only of the Torah, but also of the people like you have to be careful who your neighbors with, you know, Um, remember this little incident uh, groundbreaking uh, known as the rebellion of Korach, the rebellion of Korah, where the earth opened up and swallowed him and his household and all his possessions and all the people who rebelled with him and all their stuff. And it was just kinda like there was a little community there, was a little metroplex and it got engulfed. So by the earth. So like the earth ate them. You know? It's just kinda like whoa. So anyway, yeah. Woe to the wicked and woe to his neighbor. So check your proximity. You don't want to be around people who are excessive in their haughtiness. And uh, who are notorious for being wicked. You want to surround yourself with good people. With people who are. If you can find Tor observant people. By all means please do. Especially if, they, if they're if insides smash their outsides. If their demeanor is as beautiful as their observance. Definitely do that. But there's still merit even if your demeanor is not so good. And you're super observant. I mean, hey, you could learn some things, pick up a few customs and practices. But anyway, that was the whole manzora part. But here's the Tazria part that I really wanted to use to launch out into master plan. It says, Vayikra, so Leviticus 1337 says, and if in his eye the alpesia." stood which is natak saying natak is the hebrew word for this word it's much easier to say natak <laughs> but yeah the natak stood and black hairs grew in it the natak is healed he is tahor the priest shall declare him tahor so what does this mean the or explains the vital role of the Kohen. So he should be proficient in the in Torah jur, jurish, jurisprudence, jurisprudence and should make known the correct law. So in other words, the Kohen has to know his stuff. He needs to be able to bring clarity to Torah. So then it goes on to say, on this pasuk, the Chasam Sofer explains an additional role of the Kohen. Namely, the Kohen should be self-correcting. So this pasuk delineates three roles of the Kohen. First, that the Kohen should be proficient in Torah Jewish prudence; Number two, the Kohen should make known the correct law. Number three, the Kohen should be self-correcting. So proficient in Torah, no make bringing clarity and self-correcting. So this is the crux of our Torah study: is that, yeah, to one extent, there's an accumulation of knowledge, right? I mean, this is gonna, that's just gonna—that's obvious; it's a given. But with that accumulation comes where is the 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 right time and the proper place the rightly dividing of the word if you will where does that occur you know and so that takes time you have to have a teacher you need to have you know a co-partner to study with you know don't study Torah by yourself in other words when you're reading on your own and then when you get ready to put all your thoughts together and your notes Run them by someone. Just say, "Hey, I was thinking this, and I got these notes, and da 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 da, and it led me to think about this, and da 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 da." It's like okay. So that's how you do it, okay? Because number one, if you're if you have a Torah teacher, you know their their style, their teaching is going to help you so so much. I was actually studying this in Pure Vote this past Shabbat. The The um, passage that says you need to appoint for yourself a teacher and have yourself a study partner, and it was talking about you need to have one teacher. Don't go out and get five rabbis to be your your daily dose of Torah. Your teaching, you know, like oh, I listen to this guy and I listen to that guy, this guy, you know. You want to have one particular teacher. This is why I've been so uh, blessed, and I thank Hashem for it. And I'm just grateful. Um, My one teacher is Rabbi Trugman. So, you know, I take my cues from him as far as seeing how he teaches, what's his cadence, um, how does he source things out, how does he pronounce things, because that's huge. By the way, this is why I say Moshe instead of Moshe, like you know, it's apparently you don't pronounce it Moshe, you know, but there are people who pronounce it Moshe, and we do know everyone's talking about Moses, but it's things like that where, depending on how you pronounce things, actually tells a lot about who, t- who is teaching you, you know, and so it becomes this identifier, which is kind of crazy to me, I learned that from my Havruta, so shouts out to him may he should live and be well so all these different things but anyway you have to appoint for yourself a teacher you need to have a habruta, someone that you're just really able to just kind of go to with things that you find and and just kind of share this is why the beautiful group on whatsapp known as strictly torah on signal we have sobevim you know and we have our magi Yoshenu, general chat you know, just all sorts of connecting opportunities uh, to just bounce and reflect ideas off of. So and when you're at your Shabbat table, whether it be a Erev or a Oneg or a third meal or Malva Maka meal, you know, make sure you're using that time as well to share, you know, children to parents, parents to children, you know, again, friend to friend, peer to peer, teacher, student, you know however you're going to roll, spend your Shabbat filling up on that. You know, this removes idle chatter. One of the things that's like, I I used to get down about it, but I'm kind of excited about it right now is that at least in our community for the time being, a lot of us don't get to see each other all week. And then we got like all this time on Shabbat and it's just like, well, I haven't seen you all week. How was your week? You know? And it's like, well, now really isn't the time for that. But, you know, I can tell you what I've been kind of thinking about and what I've been focused on and seeing how Hashem is applying and, you know, the Omer meditation, the Hibana Nut, you know, the meditation and, um, trying to work on improving myself. You know, you can talk about all those things, you know, Hey, you got any ideas or, hey, what do you think about this? Or, I learned this and this was really cool. You know, how was your Eruv? You know, how was the meal? What did you talk about? You know, any Oneg, uh, things you got going on? What about your studies today? Are you really looking forward to Pirkei Avot? You know, things like that. Staying in the Shabbat. Staying engaged in Torah, you know, and delighting in it so yeah so you need to have your teacher and um through all of this process you'll do these three steps you know become proficient in toward jewish prudence be able to bring the correct torah law like to give clarity on things and then uh you'll you'll be self-correcting like that's that's the goal You know, other people obviously can correct you before you can correct yourself because we have blind spots and sometimes we don't even see things that we need to be corrected. But if we're in community and we have people we trust around us, then obviously that can get taken care of. So self-correcting can also be that someone else points something out to you because remember how that relationship works. How you treat yourself is how you treat other people, you know, how you treat other people ultimately is how you treat yourself. Don't really have a source for that right now, but it basically is on the connection of the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your resources. And the second greatest commandment is likened to the first one. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. So whatever you think you're going to be doing for Hashem and whatever you are doing for Hashem, if it is disconnected from how you treat your neighbor, yikes. And it further just proves who you really are, because how you treat other people is really the inner workings of what's going on with you. This is why a lot of times when there are finger pointed or when there's fingers being pointed and accusations being thrown out, Those are all self-projecting. If you really have nothing to hide and you really need someone to um, just kind of be aware of some things that need uh, attention, you know, you don't degrade them. You don't yell at them. You don't argue with them. You go, hey, could I talk to you or just need to share some things with you? You know, you bring it up in a way that's mutually beneficial, that it helps you because... As I brought down from the Isaiah passage in the commentary from Art Scroll, Isaiah rebuked himself along with the people and said, Hey, let us return to Hashem. You know, and it was just like, Yeah, Israel was in the wrong. Like, Isaiah wasn't worshiping idols in the temple, you know, and just doing all sorts of debaucherous things. He was literally trying to like be with Hashem and and walk in unity with Hashem and fulfill the Shema. And yet he's being sent out to a people who are doing the opposite of all those things. And Isaiah's response and declaration to them is, Hey everyone, let us return to Hashem. Let us repent. And it's just like, but you didn't even do anything. And he's like, but did I? Because there's a reason why others are acting a certain way because there's something going on in me that's causing other people to be to feel like they're okay to do that so I mean not that everything revolves around us but we totally have a lot of influence and this is why it's called what's going on in your world because literally your world impacts other people if you're a person who's a a Debbie Downer and just kind of dreary all the time and woe is me, Eeyore kind of thing. You cause that to be magnified in other people. And so other people like be magnetized to that and they'll just start to get all complaining and gloomy and you're just like, what's wrong with you? And it's like, well, have you ever thought about what's going on with you? You know, if you're happy, fired up, excited and just ready to drop kick everything that plays out in people as well. And so there's different levels and variances and things like that as to how those things will be seen. But if you really, really pay attention, just watch it's like even your thoughts just influence people, you know, and these things take time to really notice and, um, affect, you know, it's just kind of one of those things where if you just want to go from zero to 60, Obviously, you're going to have a hard time seeing it because what are you looking for? How well do you know the people around you? What's the environment like? You know, is this something you do consistently? Because it's the other thing we have to remember. We got to be consistent. We can't just fly all the way up here one day and then drop all the way down here on the other day and just be all over the map all the time. You know, we have to find a even keel level ground and just hold that line. This is why the beautiful thing in Judaism is that you pick one thing really that you want to improve and you take the whole year to do it. Because the understanding of when you get to Rosh Hashanah is like may I not enter into Rosh Hashanah with the same baggage that I had last year, with the same level of amuna that I had last year, the same struggle that I had last year. You know, because that whole year you're spending fixing that one particular thing you know so if you have issues davening or studying torah or things like that you pick that one particular mitzvah and you work on that everything else you do to the best of your ability but you put all your your focus and your efforts onto that because this is how you improve so that way as time goes by over the years because you've had this one little thing as opposed to 15 things and being spread so thin now we're looking at a more stable a more mature person that's not easily moved because they're not spread so thin and they have been deepened in every aspect that they've put their attention on so just so everyone knows it's probably not a surprise my one particular mitzvah this year is Torah study, targeted, and making sure that I I get that down, you know, and really understand how to Torah study, what does it mean, and as I'm studying Torah to understand how my midot will be affected for the good or for the bad, depending on how well I refine my vessel, because Studying Torah can bring out the worst in you. I don't know if many people know this, but this is why it's not also not a good idea for us to just go run out into the world and say, hey, everybody, start being Torah observant. Do this. Study the da. It's like that in and of itself. Again, it has merit and we will be rewarded for good things and we will be rewarded for the mitzvot that we do. However, overall, if you're going to enter into Torah study and remain to be arrogant or remain to be, um, I don't know, condescending or something very brutal or terrible like that, Torah study is only going to make it worse. And it's so funny because I think about the Captain America serum. (laughs) And going back to that movie, the very first Captain America movie, and the doctor telling Cap, he's like, hey, this serum just amplifies whatever people already have in them, you know? And that's why when that doctor, his last words to Cap were like, be a good man, like he pointed to his heart, like have a good heart, you know, so that when Cap pat the serum, like his his... Traits of uh, of humbleness, uh, humility, there we go. That's the word I was looking for. Humility, self-sacrifice, courage, bravery, all those things got boosted, you know. But if a person who was just very, you know, off the handles and all these things, like if they take the serum, it's like that's only going to get worse. That's Torah study. So, you know we have to work on, uh, fixing our vessels as well. This is the beauty of having the time to count the Omer because every year, no matter where you are, what you're doing, you're going to have a little time specifically, uh, targeted saying, Hey, I don't know what you got going on right now, but we got these seven weeks here. If you want to take advantage of this, um, go ahead and let's, let's improve so that no matter whatever you're working on, you're going to elevate so i love that and i just want to send out a bracha to everyone that when you torah study that hashem would help us to all refine our vessels so that we can be worthy of that light because we have to be a light to the nations and rabbi mazaltov which is Rabbi Malet Shlita. It was just bringing this down in Shira Shireem class 29 for this week and saying that Hashem says your love from the 70. Okay, and there was a passage in Shira Shireem 410 where it says your love is better than wine. And literally it was saying your love is better than 70 because the word for wine has the gematria of 70 which is Ya'in. And he was saying that when the nations see Israel in the light of loving Hashem and uh, just being a very beautiful reflection and witness in the world of godliness and beauty and uh, relationship and service to Hashem and things like that, that draws the nation in to want to serve Hashem too. So like we affect and influence the nations depending on how well our relationship with Hashem is and how much we're actually uh, overflowing as springs of living water, Bezrat Hashem, you know? So we cause love to pour forth from the 70 nations of the world. And it's just like, that's because Israel's relationship with Hashem is so beautiful. You know, so this is why it's important. Again, let's refine our vessels. Let's be in unity. You know, we all are on different tangents and places and things like that. But what we all want to do is we all want to love Hashem and give him our utmost, you know, and things like that. So master plan the section of Torah study from the section of group five on the inner life this is chapter 64 let's get into it it's only been almost an hour and we're just now getting in the master plan but I wanted to set things up let's go ahead and read this and then let's jump into some Talmud It says, listen, Yisrael, to the laws I tell you today so that you may learn them and put them into practice. Devarim 5.1, Deuteronomy 5.1. So learn and put into practice. Now, if you learn something that is completely like, wow, this is going to major change and overhaul my life. And I don't really know the impact logistically of doing this. This is why Yeshua tells us, do you not consider the cost? Do you not count the cost, right? Which king is going to go out to war against the enemy and be like, Psh, yeah, we're just going to go to war. Like, I don't know this enemy. I don't know if they got more forces than we do. We're just going to go to war. You know, we're just going to go to war. It's fine. I don't care. I only got 100 men and they got 5,000. You know, it's just like uh, you're probably going to go have some logistics meetings with that army that you're trying to go against, you know, and things like that. Or if you're going to build a tower, aren't you going to sit down and first consider what it costs and what it takes to make this tower happen? Well, same thing with Torah study. And when you learn things, it's like, okay, so I know about MUXA now. I know about light switches now, like, you know, so now you need to sit down, reflect on this in your heart, and ask Hashem to help you, you know, Hashem, how do I go about doing this, you know, and really think it through, like, what does this look like, you know, as I go through, you know, from my place to someone else's place, or when I'm out and about, or things like that, You know, and I know a lot of these things are like Shabbat related, but there are other times in the week where you may have things that you're working on. So count the cost of everything. Take some time to let it play out and marinate, because when you do something, chas shalom, that you would regress or revert from doing it. You know, like you you picked up the stringency and now you're like, oh, that was too much and took away my joy. So I'm done. You know, like you don't want to do that. So however you want to go about doing the mitzvot and implementing things that you're learning from, you know, Jewish law, just count the cost is all I want to say. Because we're supposed to learn and then put them into practice. And I know there's the element of we will do and then we will hear. But that's the Torah. That's the t- the study of it, you know. And the doing of it will come over time, especially when you know how you're supposed to do it. So, for example, Shabbat It's like, well, I haven't really learned about Shabbat. Well, it's just like, well, all you need to do is start with lighting candles, you know. And you're not saving Nishma is that you're just like, okay, I'm just going to be in Shabbat, you know, and you're prepared yourself to be in Shabbat and you're like, I don't know what to do now. And it's like, great, at least you're here. So you can only go up from here if you choose anyway. And I know that creates a lot of awkward dynamics because you're just kind of like, well, then you can't keep Shabbat and then break Shabbat, you know like to think of different horror horrible or horror type scenarios like okay this person was so excited they kept shabbat like they lit candles and then they went to cook dinner it's like oh yikes i can't oh i can't imagine i can't fathom it but guess what that person's gonna learn because they're keeping shabbat they're gonna learn about we don't kindle the fire And we don't cook food, and actually, they're also going to learn that we prep food for what we're going to eat on Shabbat. But that's going to come over time. You know, they may not know that right out the gate. So it's just that whole level of rejoicing for those who are here. You know, like the father and the prodigal son scenario. He didn't know the son changed his ways. He just knew his son was back and he was just like, that's all I'm, I'm, I'm great. I'm good now. Like he's here. I just, I don't know. That's such a Selah. Like it's, it's important to be here. We can learn, we can grow. We're going to read. We, okay. The fact that Hashem is continuing to keep breath in our lungs He's he's letting us know, hey, you got, you got a little bit more time. What are you going to learn? What are you going to read? You know, what are you going to pass on to the next generation? Because ultimately, that's what we need to be doing. We need to understand there's people behind us. What are we going to leave for them? You know, just getting my son prepared and set and ready for when I'm not here. You know? Okay. The next thing I forgot to read the subtitle. I love these little subtitles at the top of each chapter of master plan. So the one for Torah study says the mitzvah to study Torah at every opportunity. now I rejoice in that because even before I had this book or knew about it or even read it, that was literally what I do. And that, that was, it sounded weird because it should be in present tense because that literally is what I do. <laughs> it's like, Oh great. Look at that. I'm waiting. And I don't know how long I'm going to be waiting here. It's just like safaria open or screenshots engaged or ladderofjacob.com. of You know, like I'm already in the study mode. <laughs> so, or if, if I was fancy enough and brought a book of like, you know, handbook of Jewish thought or, Horeb or something like that then uh boom it's open it's like if you take all the time you want to get ready whether it be spouse or child or friend you know you're just hanging out you're just like Psh, that's fine you go over to somebody's house and you're waiting on them to finish whatever they need to do before they can be a um be available to uh hang out with you you're like may I sit in your library <laughs> you know and you just start perusing through sources so that's how tour study works so if you have a break at work or if you're just kind of taking a walk or whatever you can put on an audio uh, drosh or message or something like that and boom so another reason why i'm grateful for the opportunity to do podcasting because i don't know who's doing road trips or just kind of feel like i drive forever what am i going to listen to how am i going to study well that's what this is for I know I ramble a lot, but you know, got to keep it entertaining as well. That's the other thing, not in here, not in master plan, but I did come across a commentary uh, last year as I was studying uh, that was saying, make sure that you're having fun while you're studying Torah. And I was just like, wow, like, that's so great. You don't have to tell me that twice. So... Yeah, you, if your Torah study is not fun, it's gonna be ineffective, and you're probably gonna fall asleep, and you're gonna be like, "Man, I wasted so much time trying to spend time studying a Torah." Torah study can be fun, so you just have to find what matches you. This is literally in the inner cover of Master Plan. I wrote it down because my havruta told me about it, and I was just like, "What? That's possible? That's insane." It says, teach according to ability to learn. And one of the things Mahavruta said is, you know, I don't have the full set of Talmud, but I've read so much Talmud. Oh, my gosh. He didn't say, oh, my gosh. But I was like, what? You know. And the way he's done it is because there are so many sources that have Talmud. For instance, you ever heard of art scrolls? Humash with the teachings of the Talmud, it's a green book and there's five of them. Yeah, so like that is chalked full of Talmud. So you don't have to go out directly and per se get Rashi or something like that. I mean, don't get me wrong, if you can definitely go get it. That's one of the basic sets that you should have in your arsenal is Rashi commentary. But yeah, like you, you need to, uh, you need to have what really grabs you. So I love value of a pasuk. I love the Bava humash, and because of that, I get a lot of medrash in there. You know, a lot of Orhakaim, a lot of, you know, just Talmudic sources. And I'm just learning gematria. So you can do the same with Agada and uh, medrash. You know, the the folk stories and the parables, you know, and things like that. You can do that. You know, there's the uh, the weekly parashah and there is the midrases and there's the midrash rabbah. And as you engage into those, you'll learn uh, Tanakh, you'll learn Talmud, Humash, and so on and so forth. So anyway, teach according to your learnability teach according to ability to learn so you got to find what grabs you and get those sources and those sources will have a lot of other things uh the other one it says Devarim six six these things which i command you today should be upon your mind that's from the shema it says the very thing is near to you in your mouth and in your heart to do it. Devarim 30, verse 14. This is the commandment of Teshuvah. So when you're in Torah study, you are engaged in Teshuva. We always talk about repent, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But what is repentance what does it mean to do that it means study the torah that's repentance and that's why it's near you it's in your mouth this is our confession when we're reciting torah we're supposed to speak it out loud and it's our confession and it says how i love your torah i speak of it all day to psalm 119 verse 97 and here's the mishnah vote i was telling everybody about adopt a torah teacher for yourself and acquire a colleague or a chavruta and that is mishnah vote six. so now i'm just going to read a bunch of the underlines it says keep close to the sages of torah see Frey devarim eleven twenty two. You need to have an atmosphere of knowledge. That's what I wrote out in the margin. Because the next section called necessity of Torah study. It says learn Torah. The first law of Torah is learn Torah. The practice of Torah and all its aspects can flourish only in an atmosphere of knowledge. Thought and mental stimulation. So if you're a big person of writing things down and posting them on the wall like for the word door you write down dalit tet, which is dalit you know and you put that on the door and you're like i see dalit i know this is a dalit you know you can quiz yourself and be like where else have i seen you know entering in through the dalit before you know and start playing around with those things before you actually you know go forth into your uh, further studies I meant to say so yeah so you know you'll have things now like that so you create this atmosphere of knowledge of integrating wisdom and understanding so your understanding which is Bina this is your Thought-provoking, meditating type things. And you're bringing that down with the chokmah, which is the wisdom. Which is what you're engaged in. Torah being wisdom and the sages' words and things like that. You're integrating those things together. What you're taking away with what the sages tell us. That's bina and chokmah coming together. And guess what happens when that is the case? You create da'at. Da'at which is knowledge. So then it says this mental stimulus, which is a basic tool of Torah civilization. Okay. This is the basic way to have a Torah community is to create an atmosphere of knowledge. Next underline from Maimonides, it says, Even the poor man who begs at the door, even the head of the family who works to provide a livelihood for himself and his dependents must set aside periods by day and by night to study the Torah. So everybody's got to set aside times during the day and during the night. This is why if you're studying toy at every opportunity, you easily meet that goal. And since you're taking every opportunity, you'll find out which opportunities work best. You know, uh, which one works better than another time. Flipping the page. The next category says mystery. And I wrote out, More than knowledge gain. This is character. uh, Living better. And. Enter. Torah values. So you want to have like. Torah values on your internals. So like the values of Torah is basically your value system. So all that goes with that. So it says learning Torah aims at more than the accumulation of knowledge. This is what I meant. This is what I was talking about earlier going down a little bit more. It says it helps us to internalize Torah values. It has the power to change a person. Yep. Torah, Torah study is transformation okay moving right along to page 267 the program of study this is the biggest thing that I want everyone to really just kind of get and be able to perpetuate this and share this on all your platforms of influence when it comes to studying the Torah, some people are super gifted and they photographic memories, speed reader. I'm jealous of that. But, uh, like, you can just come in and just slay, you know, to use a hood term. Slaying means not what the guy in the red suit does, but, uh, like, you're, you're really just doing an amazing job, like, integrating everything bringing it all together, bringing it into a cohesive order. It's like, okay, so I'm going to read the Parsha this week. I'm going to get in this commentary, this commentary. And boom. Now I can give a drosh. Boom. You're just like, whose kid is this? Now there are some people who can do that. And it's just like, boom, that's a gift. Okay. But even if that is your gift, this is the way we should do it. And this is the way that I'm working on doing since, this is my mitzvah for sure and because of working my way back up from the ground up fundamentals wise hugely impactful because I have a lot of books I haven't read yet and I'm just kind of like am I ever going to get to them I'm so overwhelmed what do I do master plan tells us it says learn a little today a little tomorrow persevere And that's it. Literally, you just learn a little day by day and then you just push through. So. What I always think about with that is I'm like, if we're learning little by little every single day. Where does that put us? In five years and 10 years and 15 years and in 20 years, which is the age of accountability. 20 years. You know, if you're constantly learning a little bit at a time and remember, review what you learn. This is another reason why I try to make two episodes and then, you know, try to be done, even though I want to do more on the podcast wise. Bezrach Hashem. I'm doing ruminations with Shlomo White, um, and that's just kind of a bonus because it's just like him and I are just hanging out, just shooting rockets. You know, he's ridiculous, and I'm just like that is just wow. You know, and then I it makes me think of something else, and I'm like Hashem, you're so awesome. Thank you so much for this. You know, but yeah, I just we really need to spend more time reviewing our studies as opposed to just learning and learning and learning. And also, uh, the take it outside protocol. Don't just sit in these groups and have all this stuff just heaped up, you know, share these treasures with the world. You know, uh, Yosef Schlita, AKA hates. Uh, he does a beautiful job of this. When I used to be on Facebook, I literally created tabs and bookmarks based off his posts, because every single time it would seem if I'm on my feed, I would scroll and I would see Yosef just sharing stuff. And I'm like, oh, that's insane. And it's like out there for the public. And I'm like, okay, let's start categorizing these things, you know, and I would organize them so I'd have all his drops, you know, and I'm like, wow, people need to see this, you know, and some people did and some people have access So, yeah, so take it outside protocol, let let other people know what's going on. What are we finding? You know. And I'm really trying to use the Schomerman Instagram for that as well to just kind of put more stuff out. This week a lot of things have been, you know, seemingly random, but um it all really tied into this week, so enough about that. Just know and understand the way to study Torah is little by little, every single day and you persevere through it. Page 68. Knowledge is cumulative. Torah is deep, but not so deep that it cannot be understood at your level. You may forget today what you learnt yesterday and seemingly have made no progress. But this is not true. Baruch Hashem. Because I did. I forgot stuff. You know like I was forgetting. What does UIA mean? And I'm like oh gosh I forgot. You know. But it says. The Torah you learned. In your subconscious. Helping you. On. From beneath the surface. Let me say this again. The Torah you learned in your subconscious helping you on from beneath the surface. So if you're playing Torah while you sleep, if you have Torah on in the background, it is doing a subconscious get you some. So that way, at some point, it's going to overlay. You're going to just be reading out of blue, and you're like, oh my gosh, that, that's this insight. You know, and you're like, I don't ever remember studying that. And it's like, well, have you been playing parashot and um, snippets of, you know, the oral Torah and things like that while you sleep? And it's just like, well, there you go. That answers that question. So three things, it says, study the five books of Torah, discover the origin, the mission of your people and its practical guidelines given by God for the fulfillment of this mission. It says, study the prophets of Israel and learn the triumphs and failures of your people, Yisrael, and learn Sleekah. Study to the prophets of Israel and learn the triumphs and failures of your people and times long past and derive lessons for the present day. Go down to the next paragraph. Number two, learn the oral law. So yeah, learn the oral law. The only authoritative guide on the, the only authoritative guide on how the principles of the Torah are to be applied in practice. Number three, next paragraph, graduate to Gemara. So after you start with the Torah, the prophets, the writings, a.k.a. the Tanakh, then you start little by little with the oral Torah, namely the Mishnah. So, yeah, so you do the the Mishnah, and then you get into the Gemara. It's like a little three-step program. So where do you start? Get a Tanakh, get a Humash, then start getting into the Prophets. So there's a beautiful uh, Sefer called uh, the Haftarah says, kind of like the Midrash says for the Parshah, there's one for the Haftarah. So just a heads up on that. So then I was thinking about Matthew 13, verse 44, where it talks about the parable of the field, because on page 269 of master plan, it says this, uh, one, one person had a field with an enormous mound of earth on it. Then it goes on to say, he looked at it again and again, came to the conscious. Sleekah came to the conclusion. There was nothing to be done about it. The land was useless. He sold it. The purchaser said, true. It's a lot of earth, but I can tackle it. Okay. So the person who's selling it is like, this is how they see Torah study. It's too much. It's useless. I'm selling it. Can't get to all of it. Person receiving it's like, well, it's kind of a bit much, but you know, here's where I'll start. He says, I'll take a couple of pitfalls today and a couple tomorrow and eventually I'll clear it. So, yeah. I'll take a couple of pitfalls today and a couple of tomorrow and eventually I'll clear it. Then I'll have a beautiful feel. And this is the whole meaning too the, of the parable Yeshua is bringing down. Like, yeah, you'll get this field that you're just like, Oh, it takes so much work to get it. But when you uh, understand the feel has treasure hidden in it, you know, this is what the kingdom is like. It's like, Oh man, all this work. All this breaking through that needs to happen. It's just like, yep. And as the moment you break through, the moment you, you know, start applying yourself to things, it's just like a shim just comes alongside you and just lifts you up. And you're just like, wow, this is insane. So anyway, a little kingdom of heaven parable. Page 270. I put at the top of this page, application and reconciliation and solving. Because it says Torah study is a is an exciting pursuit from subsection four here. It says studying the details of the mitzvot, tracing their sources, analyzing and discussing the principles which determine them are certainly time consuming occupations. They are meant to be. Our teacher Moshe recommended that we keep them. Uh, in mind and speak of them in the morning, evening, when traveling, when you lie down. So and when at home, it seems to intend. Blah, I don't know what's going on in my words right now. It seems that he intended to take up most of our spare time. Yes, it takes time to study Torah. Oh, my word lots of sacrifice. But again, like this field, it's got a lot of dirt on it. It's like, but I can do it. So I'm just going to go little by little. So just get your little five minutes in there, here and there, get your hour of time, you know, things like that. Going on, it says, am just going to read the the underlines or highlights that I made here. Uh, the mass of Torah legislation is extremely complex. As pointed out in the introduction, it matches the complexity of the human mind. So when you're in Torah, you're literally looking at a human mind as it were, not like a human mind to be particular and just like, but no, like you're looking at a mind, like the brain, I don't know, like the mind of Mashiach because mashiach's the torah right so when you're in torah study it's like going through and picking his brain so then it goes on to say the consistent application of these principles the reconciliation of apparent contradictions which arise in the course of study are the constant preoccupation of the students attempt to solve logical problems there is an next paragraph there is an extremely psychological feature there's an extremely subtle psychological motivation behind all this the purpose of all the mitzvot is sanctification of life the release of full moral and spiritual potential of man One cannot talk about moral imperatives all the time. Dwell too much on this topic is counterproductive. The mind rebels against constant moral admonition. Torah is not all about, hey, get this right, get this right, get this right, get this right. You're over here talking about a grain offering, which connects to a midrash, which is a a gematria over here. You're doing all these different things. And what it's actually doing is churning your inside and cleaning and purifying your heart and it's just like wow self-improvement without <clears throat> the self-help technique books anyway so just immerse yourself in the Torah is it, it all just comes together and you're just like I did not quantify that like what is how is this even happening well if you keep reading it says torah adopts the oblique method rather than dwelling constantly on morality the jews discuss mitzvot in all their variety and subtlety by doing so they immerse them they immerse themselves in the words of the living god and this itself has a purifying effect so torah is a mikvah because when we immerse into it, it's immersing into the words of God and it purifies us. Again, Torah study is teshuva. It's the name of God. It's the brain of Mashiach. And we enter into it and it brings purity. This is just overwhelming this says in addition to moral and spiritual ends are implicit in all mitzvot though these mitzvot are often obvious on the surface wow so moral and spiritual ends are implicit in all the mitzvot but you won't readily see it on the surface it's amazing what happened when you what happens to you when you look back and think, Wow, like nine years ago I began eating kosher and like boom. Like you're just thinking, Oh yes, yeah, so I've just been eating kosher, da da but having no idea what that has done to you mentally and what that has done to you spiritually. the next statement as a result one can delve into the logical subtleties of the halakha without being consciously aware of the moral demands that the mitzvot themselves apply but the spirit of the mitzvah is absorbed subconsciously by osmosis so to speak wow you absorb the mitzvah okay little Q&A there's uh, on page 271 it talks about the Bet Midrash the house of study seems like everyone's arguing going back and forth with each other it's like where's the source for that Seems like a lot of combatants, there's a lot of debate, there's Q&A's going on, there's always like, well, what does the Torah really mean with that, you know, da 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 You know, so this is, this is good, okay? And it says, our sages remark, father and son, teacher and student, who seem like enemies locked in combat in the Bet Midrash, the house of study. Finally, leave it arm in arm. The best of friend. So they leave it arm in arm. Best of friends. That's the thing with tour study. And again, like I was saying earlier, if you're not improving and refining your vessel, like you actually will fight people, but again, with the level of humility, the self-correcting, the seeking the clarity and to coming to a place of being knowledgeable in certain things, you know, like if you don't work and do the, the, the refinement and the self-improvement, you actually will fight people and you'll become very antagonistic and nagging. And you quench the spirit at that point and cause revelation to depart. So you really want to make sure that uh, when the questions come up, that there's not this getting defensive and, you know, things like that. Be willing to say you're wrong. Be willing to say, yeah, I don't know all this right now. You know, that's definitely where I'm at. Holocically, please don't ask me any questions. I'm like, dude, I'm so not, I can't right now. Like, it's just... You know, I can go source things, yeah, but it's just like, I I don't know, (laughs) you know, I'm I'm relearning, like, this is why I'm going through master plan, you know, I'm trying to figure things out, get my, get my sea legs back under me, kind of thing, so this is a very, very crazy statement that I'm about to make, but it's on page 271, so we're gonna read it, we're going to be big kids because we're a big kid now. Bing. It says absorption in Torah learning can sublimate our sexual energies. Yes, that's right, folks. You've heard it. All that drive and lustful stuff, not lustful in the bad way, because if you're actually in Kidushin, you're married. It's OK to have. Uh, thoughts about being with your spouse and things like that. Obviously, if they're not your spouse and you're not married and all that kind of stuff, you got to deal with those things and even, you know, all that kind of stuff. All that to say, Torah study sublimates that. So if you're having just a, a time with that, just like, okay, it's time to pick up the Torah and just start randomly reading stuff. And guess what? Your yetzer just bows and goes, oh, I lost one, you know? And then you find yourself carried away in Torah and you're just like, oh, wow, I feel pretty good, you know? It's not over yet. Because the next statement, the rabbis say that Israel loves Torah with the same intensity that other nations Love, sex. So I put in the margin Torah study equal sex. In other words, the equivalent that Torah study has is the way that the world is so sexually driven and uh, all these overtones and innuendos and uh, like it's so ingrained and you're like can you put some clothes on can you not talk like that you know this hurts me to to hear you know like i don't even want to see or know about it you know and the way that it is so in your face when it comes to the nations and how outside of torah and mitzvot and outside of the jewish people that's the case well within torah it's just like that but just torah stuff So, yeah, so I'm just kind of like, wow. Section five, learning for practice, discover the way. And then I put the truth and the life. (laughs) John 14, six, because it says study in order to practice This is the fundamental principle of Torah. Torah reveals its true meaning only to those who learn it in order to discover a way of life. This is why Yeshua was saying, I am the way. You know, the no man comes to the father except through me. That's not meant to be. I'm your intermediary and you can only get to Hashem through me. You can call directly out to Hashem. But the way that you should be walking is Torah. It's studying, it's practicing it, it's taking it in, absorbing it, it's meditating upon it. You know, so the way, the truth and the life, that's what Yeshua was really getting at with us. It says one can learn it for other motives to sharpen the mind, to attain honor or a livelihood, or even for anti- antiquarian interests. There is value in all these. So let's not get too caught up with, oh, I can't believe that person is just studying Torah and then just going out and being all, you know, debaucherous and whatnot. Just so say goes, okay, just let them study. Just let them get in here. There's value in it. It goes on on page 272. Review together what you have learnt so that you develop your own resources in Torah study so you become more able to clarify things you become more able to respond to questions you become more able to rightly engage in different aspects of torah after you're learning and when you're reviewing you will you'll have this accumulation and you'll build up and you'll begin to have your own resources so review got to review go back over things even if you've heard it five times So it goes on to say, but learn from no teacher, however knowledgeable he may be, whose way of life is open to reproach. In other words, do not learn from one with bad conduct. So, you know, you have to be mindful of the people you're learning from and make sure if they're going to be people that are teaching you uh, make sure that they have lives that are make sure that they have lives that are worthy of the calling that they have and that their demeanor is that way too like you know it's like okay so you're a Torah teacher you read a lot of books and things like that that's great you know but how do you treat your wife How do you treat your family? You know, how do you treat strangers on the street? You know, if you're seeing some not so good things that occur, it's just like, uh, I don't want to put myself in that position. So with that being said, this is a beautiful time to jump over to Hagiga 15. And we're going to learn about a gentleman by the name of Acher and let's get his full name Elisha ben Avuya so this is Chagiga 15a says Akher chopped down saplings in the orchard i.e. he adopted false theological beliefs that's from Rabbi Abraham Min HaHar. It says it is upon him that the verse states, "Let not your mouth bring guilt upon your flesh." So basically what ended up happening, Acher entered into the orchard known as Pardes he saw the angel Memtet who was given permission to sit in order to record the merits of the Jewish people. Akher said, "We have a tradition that above there is neither sitting nor neither sitting nor competition nor the back of a head nor weariness." The back of a head, it says, because in Yehezkel's vision of the Merkabah, the chariot, the coyotes are described as having faces on all sides. There is no back of a head. So there's that. This is so yet Memtet is sitting Perhaps, heaven forbid, there are actually two authorities, God and Memtet. This is why understanding the importance that Mashiach is echad with Hashem. Yeshua tells us, I and my Father are one. You can't substitute me for Him. You can't say it's Hashem and then Mashiach is a great power and the Holy Spirit's a great power and like do all these things it's like no there's only one Hashem is a chad you know and so everything else is a part of that oneness and I always just I used to bring up the fact of you know think about your arm or your leg or whatever but I just want you to think about the temple is the temple the shiny labor like if you just had the shiny labor are you in the temple or is the shiny labor a part of the temple? You can do this with any of the vestments. The one that really is kind of the, okay, but what about this? Because if you remove the tablets, you remove the shkina, you remove the Ark. Like, you just have a fancy building at that point because remember everything the source of the kedusha is the torah for the temple so it's all about the holy of holies and what it houses but when you look at the temple it's all interconnected it's all there Okay, it says, they took Memtet out and inflicted upon him 60 blows of fire. They said to Memtet, why did you not stand before Acher when he saw, when you saw him? Memtet was given permission to erase the merits of Acher. A heavenly voice emerged and said, return, O wayward sons, except for Acher said to him Achor said to himself since that person himself has been banished from that world the world to come let him go out and indulge in, indulge his pleasures in this world akar thus strayed to the ways of bad society he went out and found a harlot asked for her services she said to him but are you not a great sage elisha ben avuya in response akar uprooted a radish from a radish patch so that's some um, Talmud slang <laughs> uprooted a radish from a radish patch on the Shabbat okay I mean it It just it sounds like a three sheets to the wind kind of thing but like literally he uprooted a radish but you know it just made me think you know before just because, I mean, you can you can see things on, on multiple levels. This is another part of Torah study. It's like, well, the verse says da-da-da-da. So here's the deal. So uprooting a radish from a radish patch on the Shabbat. In other words, you took that which was native and local to that particular spot. You went at an inappropriate time. You removed it and you know you just did it for the sake of that not that you needed to do that not that you were supposed to do that There is a specific time where you are permitted to do that but this is not a time for that and you also don't need to just uproot a radish and just like boom i did it you know because this is what you could do with torah you can just take things out of context and you could just start moving stuff around and it's just like I don't know if you're supposed to be doing that, you know, especially if it's not a time that is permitted for you, i.e. you're just now learning. You've been one week in Torah. You're new to Torah and you're like, yeah, so I got this down right now. Here you go. This is why, again, me and a lot of the Avengers and all of my fellow Torah study compadres, we source things out. just like, yeah, I got a good idea about this, but uh, I'm just going to go ahead and source it out. (laughs) You know, and that's one of my favorite things to do. This is literally why I am Shummer Man, because I like sources. It's like, where's the source for that? Anyway, don't uproot a radish from a radish patch on Shabbat. But anyway, so he went and did that. Uh, This is a capital offense, and he gave the radish to her. So he's just like, you think I'm a great Taurus sage? Let me show you something real quick. So he does that. She said, well, this must be Acher. This must be someone else. The Gemara cites the first of several incidents regarding Acher and his Disciple and Torah studies, which is none other than Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir is a Talmud of Akhur, or shall I say, was a Talmud of Akhur. Think about that. You have a person who uprooted a radish from a radish patch on Shabbat, went into Pardes, caused Memtet to get fiery blows, and that person is directly responsible for teaching rabbi mayor. Now, did we not just read a master plan on page 272? Um, learn from no teacher, however knowledgeable he may be whose way of life is open to reproach. And it's like, but here Rabbi Meir is learning from Acher. What's that all about? Well, let's keep reading. Hagiga 15a continues. Acher once asked Rabbi Meir a question after Acher had already strayed to the ways of bad society. Acher said to Rabbi Meir, what is the meaning of that? Which is written, God has made the one as well as the other. Uh, Kohelet, Ecclesiastes seven fourteen. Rabbi Meir replied to him, Whatever the Holy One, blessed as he created, he created something else corresponding to it. He created mountains, he created hills, he created seas, he created rivers, and so on. Achor said to him, That is not what Rabbi Akiva, your teacher, said. Rather, he taught you that God created righteous persons and he created wicked persons. He created Gan Eden and he created Gehinnom. Each and every person has two portions. One in the Gan Eden and one in Gehinnom. When a righteous person merits, he takes his portion and his peers' portion in Ghani Den. When a wicked person becomes guilty, he takes his portion and his peers' portion. Wow. In Gehenim. He takes his portion and his peers' portion in Gehenim. So, wickedness is not what we want. The Gemara comments on the teaching cited by Acher. Rav Meharshia said, what is the teaching's source in scripture? See, here we go. What's the source for that? There are actually two verses in regard to the righteous as it is written. Therefore, they will inherit a double portion in their land. so this verse is isaiah 61 7 so therefore they will inherit a double portion in their land and eternal gladness will be theirs and in regard to the wicked it is written bring upon them a day of evil devastate them with a double disaster two sources from the tanakh to reiterate the comment that was brought up earlier about the teaching of Rabbi Akiva that Rabbi Elisha Avuya was teaching to Rabbi Meir. I don't know about you but that's just legit it's like yeah you'll take your portion of Alam Habibah and the the wicked person that corresponded to you you'll take their portion of the Alam Habibah and the wicked person that corresponded to you takes their portion of gehenum and your portion of Gehenim. it's just like wait what you know it just is same. another dialogue between rabbi or between acher and rabbi mir acher asked rabbi mir a question after he had already strayed to the ways of bad society Acher asked him, What is the meaning of that which is written? But as for wisdom, mankind does not know its worth. Gold and glass cannot approximate it, nor can its exchange be in golden articles. Rabbi Meir replied to him, This refers to matters of Torah that are as difficult to acquire as gold vessels and fine vessels, but are easy to lose through forgetfulness as glass vessels. Acher said to him, that is not what Rabbi Akiva, your teacher, said. Rather, he taught you that just as there is a remedy for gold vessels and glass vessels, even if they break, so to a Torah scholar, even if he sours, there is a remedy for him. He can repent. So it says Acher had his mind on his own predicament that is why he asked these questions because earlier we find out that that voice that ushered forth from behind the divine curtain that was telling acher he could not repent was actually just saying well i'm not going to help you repent but you're allowed to so the crazy part is is that if we're It's like, uh, I just, where was I going with that? <laughs> do, 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 rewind. Yeah. So if you're wanting to repent, you're helped. But Akher, since he went so off the path, if he wanted to repent, he wasn't going to be helped. Like he would have to use that same fortitude of pushing himself away. That same fortitude he'd have to use to bring himself back. So it's like, I can repent, right? Let me ask Rabbi Meir. And so that's what this whole section is about. So it says, um, Rabbi Meir said to Achir, so you too, as a great Torah scholar, return to your devotion. Achir said to him, it is of no use. I already heard from behind the partition, which they use... Me akore ha pargod, which I'm pretty sure is going to be parochet, but it's Aramaic, so never mind. It says return away returns itself for Acher. A oh, subsequent so incident revol- involving Acher and Rabbi Meir, the rabbis taught in a bereta, an incident occurred with Acher, who was riding a horse on the Shabbat as Rabbi Meir was walking behind him in order to learn Torah from his mouth. Rabbi Meir was like, I'm still going to learn Torah. This is my Torah teacher. He's sour. I'm still going to learn from him. I know this is crazy. It says at a certain point, Acher said to him, meir go back. For I have already calculated through the steps of my horse. The Shabbat boundary extends until here. So what this makes me think about is the fact that Akher is so far gone, but yet he's still able to come up with beautiful questions to bring out insights and illumination to realize, you know, what the divine voice was actually telling him. And even as he is Shabbat observant, he's counting. Like, it's just kind of like, are you in or are you out? Like, what are you really doing? So there was a part here that I wanted to bring up because it was basically, basically asking Rabbi Mir, why do you listen to this guy? You know like you should know like don't do this (laughs) like he's he's such a bad teacher and you're listening to him for what and i can't remember where i put it see if it's in my bookmarks Stand by for one moment. Yeah, here it is. Hagiga 15B. Rava expounded, what is the meaning of that which is written, I went down to the garden of nut trees to look at the green plants of the streams, etc.? Song of Songs. six eleven. So I'm going to go down to footnote 28. It says above. Acher is compared to a date. With an edible outside. Inedible pit. Here he is compared to a pomegranate. Inside peel. Or in. An edible peel. And an edible inside. Ian yakov comments that each person so you got ian yakov comments that each comparison refers to a different stage in akar's life at first akar was to all appearances a distinguished sage however the gemara states below his heart was tainted with spiritual mud. Rabbi Meir, who was aware of his teacher's failings, treated Acher like a date. He consumed Acher's edible outside. His teachings... Wow. Rabbi Meir, who was aware of his teacher's failings, treated Acher like a date. He consumed Acher's edible outside which is his Torah teachings and avoided the spiritual pit at Akar Center it's crazy you know you watch the development of your teacher over time and it's just like uh, depending on their the course that they choose to take depends on the action that you take with them at one point you know, he was, he was able to be like, I can, I can glean from the inner workings of his heart, but now I can only glean from the external things about him. It says later when Acher desecrated the Torah in public, Rabbi Mir treated him like a pomegranate. He discarded Rabbi or he discarded Acher's openly sinful behavior like appeal, and drew out the valuable Torah teachings that still remained within him. So it's like, you just got to keep looking for the good and and discard things. But I just wanted to bring that up because, you know, if you, if you have a Torah teaching, Torah teacher who lives a life that's just kind of unruly you know it's just like you really shouldn't seek to learn from that person but words of Torah are pure so if you want to now Rabbi Mir, we're talking a a great sage and you know same thing with Acher you know like these are these are not your your lower echelon people these are like giants you know and so It's just kind of like, this is how they were able to engage, but still for us, even in the concept to think of it, even if we're not going to physically or practically do it, just remember, you know, where are the sources, where does these things line up? Because there's a fine line between us really forcing our agenda and then, you know, actually having things sourced out and, and building up and and working through the word of hashem and really hearing his voice so that's a beautiful thing on the learning for practice section so the next section is about recreation and the main thing i want to point out here is the second chapter or the sleek i not second, second paragraph good night recreate recreation certainly recreation belongs to the duties we owe our mental and physical powers so go play some basketball go play soccer go play football like go run go swim you know you need to have a time of doing something recreational because it says to step out into god's fresh air and renew our covenant with the earth and heaven And with nature to which we belong, this is recreation. So, yeah, so we got to got to get outside, says to step out of our loneliness and into the circle of recreation or to step into the circle of good people or into the company of one good person or intimate exchange of thought and conversation to renew our covenant with society that puts a new life into mental and bodily faculties so we should be doing things that help us to get out and move and renew all these different covenants So now the main thing I wrote in this section is promote life, be actively engaged in things that are life promoting. So if you want to do things that are outside of quote unquote, the spiritual realm, like in other words, this is not a shul based, uh, committee. It's not a shul based extracurricular activity. Well, does it promote life? Um, for instance, there's a guy on YouTube I follow, this is going to be way out of left field, but I got to share it because it's amazing to me. He does a really good job of trying to watch his mouth. Like, you know, he's a very, um, just kind of, he's a human being, you know, he's just, he is who he is. He, he knows what he wants to do. He knows what his limits are. He knows what his gifts are things like that. And he's just so engaging, lots of charisma. And I'm like, I'm drawn in just by his opening of it, opening up his video. You know, he's just, Hey, how's it doing? How's it going? Lovely people. You know, and he just starts talking and then all of a sudden he just starts like laying down all this like beautiful, um, just practical golden rule type stuff. Like for instance, this week he was getting a lot of flack about, um, what type of content he puts on his channel. Um, and he was just like, first of all, you know, this is what I do, you know, and things like that. And second of all, when you're getting, when you're giving critique, you know, you, you, if you're a person who critiques people as a profession. Like, number one, if you don't know the person, you're gonna, you're already kind of in shaky ground. And it's just like, number two, um, what happened to respecting each other? You know, don't just go put people down because you don't like what they do. You know, if you're not into the content that I have available, then you are more than welcome to not click on my video. There are more things, you know, and he just went on and on. And it was just kind of like, wow, like, this is so crazy. And he just did it from this, uh, just very, just like peaceful place, you know, and just like saying, Hey, what's, what is going on? Like, can anybody just, you know, in other words, what I'm getting at is he was promoting life. He was promoting, like, don't tear people down. Treat others how you want to be treated, you know? So when you find things like that, I mean, it's, it's so refreshing and to understand the, the vocabulary and the language content, it's not full of, uh, just terrible words. And he does a good job of like, if he wants to say like a, a curse word, I don't think I've ever heard him say one, but if he wants to say one, it may seem like, I don't know what the context would be. But he'll say like, "Oh, pumpernickels," or like something like that, and it's just kind of like, "Oh, that's funny," you know. And the thing is, you know, because sometimes you know you you hurt yourself or you do something that's very frustrating. You're just like, "Ah," you know, and you don't have any words to put there. So he does a lot of things like that, and it's it's just really funny. But that's recreational time, a little leisure time. Watch a watch a video or two, kind of thing. But anyway whether you're going to watch a video or do some art or dance or sing or you know whatever it's going to be it you don't have to have this super over religious overtone on it you know just do what you do and promote life this is something I struggled with when I was doing rap because I'm like okay I need to put God in here I need to worship I'm going to talk about the parasha. I'm going to talk about sources you know and it's just like what about just letting it come to you and and just you know uplifting creation? Because Torah is universal. It's it's not just sitting in shul. It's also being in line at the grocery store. It's also driving in traffic. Crazy traffic. It's also you know visiting your family, your friends. It's taking out the trash. It's you know and whatever that life looks like from all those different dynamics. You know, it's integrated into through the Torah, you know, so yeah, promote life, however you're going to do it, make it positive. Don't use, you know, grotesque images and thoughts and, um, you know, acts and things like that. Hope that makes sense. And The next section is environment of Torah. The main thing I want to say on this one is that you learn Torah at every opportunity. This is the last sentence on 272. We create in our mind, in our home, in our society, an environment of Torah. If you're always constantly looking for when is the next time I can just study. When's the next moment I can open my book? When's the next moment I can share something? When is the next moment I can read something? When's the next moment we're going to discuss something? When's the next Torah study? When's the next video coming out? You know, things like that. If you're constantly keeping that going, you're creating an environment, you know, for the Torah. And it says, this is the environment in which Torah personalities grow. So in other words... I mean, who knows? Because Hashem is so awesome, right? And the more you come to know Him, the more you just get things unlocked with inside of you. So you could be a Torah scholar. You could be a Sofer. You could be a... I mean, who knows? But you will only know that if you're in an environment and you're growing constantly, slowly, and persevering. The final section of tonight's class is about Kolelim. I love this because Rabbi Mallet has, um, well, I don't know if he, I don't want to say he has, but he is a part of what's known as the Seattle Kolel. And it's really cool because after learning what kulel means i'm just kind of like oh wow so nice I'm glad i'm connected to him this says on page 273 we have an orphaned generation many great rabbis have seen the need for the largest possible number of young people to devote themselves to full time or de- devote themselves full time to high level learning high level torah study research and teaching The aim is to do our utmost to reconstruct the world of Torah, which was lost in the Holocaust. Wide sectors of Torah public assist in wide sectors of the Torah public assist in maintaining these research institutes. So a Kolel, which is the singular of kolelim is a research institute devoted to get young people into higher levels of Torah study, full-time devotion to it and things like that. Now, this part is so crucial because it doesn't end there. This is not a end all be all like I'm just going to fully devote my life to Torah study and nothing else. Because how many of us know that if you have a young person and they don't have a job, they don't have any obligations and things like that, uh, it could get a little crazy. So here's what the Kolel way is. So it says when these young people eventually go out into life, either as Torah educators or in other spheres of activity, their influence is felt in society in many ways. We affect our society around us. And if you're a person of Torah study, which means you're a person who's repenting for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You're causing that influence to go out into creation, causing the whole world to repent. And that's Torah study. So may it be that Hashem help us to learn and be proficient in Torah Jewish prudence. Help us to continue to bring clarity to Torah law and help us to be self-correcting and conform us to the image of Mashiach Yeshua and just help us to to usher in the final Geula. May we see Mashiach speedily in our days in the building of the Beit HaMikdash and may Hashem allow our Torah study to be meritorious as we say. Baruch haba Beshem Adonai. Baruch ata Adonai Eloheinu menaka olam. Asher natan lanu Torah timet. met kayye olam nata betokhenu. Baruch Ata Adonai. Noten Hatora.